this week's market update. Volatility returns as investors weigh up recession fears. China welcomes light at the end of the COVID tunnel. And questions continue about where we are in the bear market cycle. Well, the risk of getting whipsawed by volatile markets has increased as some investments bounce back while others head the other way as investors balance inflation and recession fears. First, the stock market. Friday capped another strong week for equity investors with the S&P 500 rising by more than 6% over the five trading sessions as expectations for where interest rates end up have been reined in on the back of a string of weak economic indicators. The US benchmark remains 18% down year-to-date, but that compares with a 25% drop since January a week or so ago. It was only the second up week in the past 12, but some investors are starting to question whether the fall has gone far enough. More on that in a minute. But first, why the rally? The reality is that stock market anomaly of the news being so bad that it's actually good. Measures such as the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey suggest the Fed's bid to tame inflation is likely to lead to a sharp economic downturn, if not actually a recession. That's bad news, obviously, but the silver lining to the recession cloud is the fact that the Fed may not need to be as aggressive with interest rates as previously feared. Expectations for the terminal interest rate in this cycle, the high point, have bounced from 3% to 4% and now back again to 3.5%. At such low levels, the difference between those figures is very significant. That's because the present-day value of future cash flows is much higher when calculated using an interest rate of 3% than it is at 4%. Obviously, at 3.5%, it's somewhere in the middle. That's particularly important for the growth stocks that dominate the US market today. Discounting back their future earnings into today's money at 4% made the likes of Apple and Amazon much less valuable. By contrast, doing the same calculation using 3.5% interest rates boosts their value, hence the market rally last week. Another way of looking at the same thing is the reduction in the valuation multiple of the market since last year's peak. The P.E. ratio is now down 35% year on year. That's a big reset of expectations, even if the high starting point means that shares never really got very cheap. So, stock markets are tentatively looking for a flaw, if not quite expecting a major rally from here. Recession, though, is unambiguously worse news for the commodities markets, which have been the bright spot of this year's market turmoil. The oil price remains above $100, but it's eased back from its recent highs. At $113, it slipped from almost $123 a month ago. Perhaps more importantly is what has happened to copper, often viewed as a bellwether of economic health, so much so that investors often call it Dr. Copper. Copper is used in so many ways in construction, in vehicles, in household appliances, that its price is a kind of proxy for expectations about economic activity. Recession fears have seen the price fall to a 16-month low, down 14% year-to-date, as investors worry that demand will fall and stockpiles increase. Copper actually climbed sharply after the Russian invasion of Ukraine on supply fears, but the bigger concern now is that overzealous central banks will slam on the brakes. 
Speaking to Congress last week, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell admitted that plans to raise the cost of borrowing could tip the world's biggest economy into recession. The idea of a soft landing in which interest rates could be nudged higher just enough to calm inflation without causing any real economic pain has gone the same way as the discredited idea of transitory inflation. It's firmly in the wishful thinking category. The copper price is a salutary reminder not to get sucked into the latest bullish investment narrative. Many non-specialist commodity investors piled into the red metal on the grounds that car makers would ramp up demand for copper as they increase production of electric cars and that supply would remain constrained. Both elements of that case for copper look like they've been exaggerated. Unsurprisingly, the share prices of the most affected companies have also been hit. The biggest producers have had a dreadful month, with Rio Tinto down 13% and Anglo-American 18% lower. Ironically, just as the case for industrial metals looks to have deteriorated, the picture in one of the biggest sources of demand, China, may actually be improving. Shares in China and elsewhere in the Asia-Pacific region were sharply higher at the start of the week, after the city authorities in Shanghai declared victory over COVID at the weekend. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index added 2.4% on Monday and Japan's Topics was 1.1% higher. Now, whether the recent gains in stock markets are a flash in the pan or the beginning of something more substantial remains a hot topic of debate. Some recent analysis by Societe Generale examined 56 so-called crisis periods for the US stock market over the past 150 years. It classified a crisis as a fall in the market of at least 10%. Of these, it counted 30 bear markets since 1870. Using these as a model for what might happen during the latest downturn, it forecasts that the S&P 500 would bottom out somewhere between 34% and 40% lower than the peak reached in January. In part, according to SG, that reflects the wholly abnormal 113% rally in the stock market from the March 2020 COVID bottom to this year's peak. The current falls are in some ways just an unwinding of that excessive rally, which is why they believe that further falls are likely until it becomes clear that the Fed has got on top of inflation, currently running at a 40-year high of nearly 9%. Well, this week we get another peak at US inflation, not this time the headline CPI figure, but instead the Fed's preferred measure called core personal consumption expenditures. This one strips out volatile elements like food and energy, so it's a better guide to the underlying inflation picture. And the good news, according to Credit Suisse, is that core inflation may already have peaked. One key measure of that, known as the five-year tips break-even rate, it's basically the gap between nominal bond yields and their inflation-linked equivalents, has now fallen from 3.8% to 2.7% just since March. That good news is unlikely to be replicated in Europe, where the inflation rate for the bloc's 19 countries as a whole is expected to hit 8.3%, up from 8.1% in the year to June. That would be another new record, highlighting the dilemma for policymakers at the ECB who are fighting high inflation at the same time as some of its member countries face spiralling borrowing costs and the risk of recession is rising. 
The interesting question for bond investors from all of these inflation and interest rate numbers is whether or not bonds are starting to look interesting with yields above 3%. The answer may well be yes. If we do head into a slowdown or recession, the chances are that yields will fall from here and that means that prices will rise. Perhaps the bond bull market is not quite over yet. For investors with a long memory, one other big market event this week carries some disturbing echoes. On Sunday, the clock ran out on a pair of overdue interest payments on around $100 million of Russian government debt, marking the first default by the country on its sovereign debt in 24 years. This technical default will come as no surprise to anyone following America's move last month to prevent US investors from receiving payments from Moscow. It's a blow to Russia's prestige and could trigger legal action by creditors, but probably has no greater significance given the country's still large oil and gas revenues. Back in 1998, the last Russian default was one of a series of market shocks that ultimately led to the end of the 18-year bull market that ran from 1982 to 2000. This time, investors are likely to shrug it off. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.